So hello, it's Clive DeCarl, and I'm joined by Justin Walker and Will Keat, who are going to tell us some interesting constitutional things, I believe. <laughs> um, well, yes, very interesting. Uh, we have a new king. He's planning on May the 6th to... Uh, is there such a verb as coronate? He's planning to be coronated. And, uh, well, he thinks it's going to be a smooth running. I mean, the point is... He's a king who is wedded to the World Economic Forum and helped launch the Great Reset. And what's coming down the line with the Great Reset is a communist society where you have total digital control over every single one of us. You know, the point is, bottom line is central bank digital currencies, social credit system, digital ID, and 15-minute cities, we're all going to be confined into small habitation zones, all to defeat climate change. Um, the whole thing's a lie, and we're about to fall for it, and the king is a proponent of it. So how can he take his coronation oath if he is effectively um, signed up? He's meant to protect our ancient customs and laws, laws and customs, but he's going to be signed up for something that's going to give us something that the communists in China are rolling out. That's it in a nutshell. And what to do? Well, that's well, this is where Will comes into it. Will's our expert here. <laughs> well, it's it, it yes, it's really a case of what the people can do about it. Um, and uh, as as I'm 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 saying quite a lot. Uh, it's it's essentially down to the people to understand their their constitution. Um, it really is all about that um, because the one thing that binds government um, and its behaviour and places limitations on lawful behaviour of government is the constitution itself. And if the people largely are ignoring that constitution and don't know how it works, they don't understand it and they don't embrace it, uh, then essentially they're ignoring the rule of law that binds their own government, which would appear to be in the current climate, probably not the best policy. And so what I'm proposing really is that there is only one thing that the people can do at the moment. They can talk ad infinitum about all the other uh, effects um, but actually, the one cause at the moment, um, which is manifesting, uh, is, is simply that their own liberties are being removed by the behaviour of their own government. Uh, but if they're ignoring the lawful limitations that are meant to be placed on their own government, then in a sense, we've only got ourselves to blame. So if we get passionate about our own constitution and learn it and understand it, and become extremely vocal about it over the next couple of months or whatever it takes, then things could get very interesting and very difficult for those behind the scenes uh, in the establishment to continue to behave in the way that they are. So my single message is quite simple. Um, go on commonlawconstitution.org where we've mapped out the understanding of the constitution as clearly and straightforwardly and easily as one could um, and to learn everything on there, understand it, and spread the word and teach others. That's the first thing. 
Um, following that, once we have extremely large numbers who are talking about this every day to each other, loudly and noisily all over social media, um, then I would suggest that we're in a position to start making challenges. Uh, and I think that we could be pretty close to that. In fact, one of my suggestions last night, which I put up on commonlawconstitution.org, was that whenever we do challenge our public servants now, we're no longer asking our MP to, um, to express our, uh, or to take on board our concerns about a particular piece of legislation that they might be voting for in the House. Uh, it's not really about that now. It's it's about if if any legislation is being proposed that is conflicting with our liberties and the Constitution, it could be considered criminal under common law for them to support it at all. And that's the kind of framing and the kind of language that we are now needing. So it would be worth going on commonlawconstitution.org and having having a look at the top thing that is now in the blog section where I've outlined quite clearly the logic of how you are now challenging public servants with your new knowledge of the constitution. Rant over. <laughs> how long would it take somebody to get to that stage of having now grasped the, however much they need to grasp of common law? Um, it's not really understanding common law, although, I mean, common law is the sort of the basis of the Constitution. Um, in a way, the, 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 the central principles of the Constitution are actually very straightforward. It boils down to three things. It boils down to the fact that the people are in charge over their own government. So a democratic common law constitution places the people in authority over their own government. Now, what that actually means is that, in a sense, is that the government isn't really a government at all in that situation. It actually becomes just a, a merely an administration. It's a supporting organisation to assist in our living our anarchy. So we live out an anarchistic lifestyle uh, whilst the government gets out of the way and that's really, in a way, what a common law constitution is all about. It's basically allowing the people to govern themselves. And they do that through the jury. So you, it's essentially a, a natural law tribunal. So that's the first thing that you need in your, your common law constitution, is a natural law tribunal to assist uh, in, in your tribunals and courts um, and to deal with potential crime. Uh, to try people so that everybody is tried by their peers. But the second thing, of course, is that when anybody is tried in, in a common law court, you are also judging the justice of any kind of regulation that your government has put in place. You're putting it to the test every time. So that's an easy concept. And the second thing is that you have some kind of a head of state, or a, uh, which is really the equivalent of a wise elder, really, that, that promises in perpetuity to keep all of that in place and to make sure that any, any government legislation that is being proposed through the legislature is in alignment with the Constitution and it's not going to infringe on the liberties of the people. That's the second thing. In a way, that's kind of it, really, actually. It's, it's, it's just those, those two things. I keep saying it's three, but I suppose the third thing is the legislature itself. So if you're yeah. going to have a legislature a government that is going to propose 
some kind of statutes and legislation which really in the, in that form all they're really doing is flagging up behavior and bringing it before a court so you're basically not punished by legislation in that situation it's a flagging up exercise that then brings you before a tribunal and then it's the people it's your peers that then actually give you the punishment if you deserve it and it's the government that carries that out so in the in the context of the police and the prison service that's all it is. So the actual governing is being done by the people. That's essentially what it is. So that's it. That's that's what your, your constitution is. So at the basic level, it's not a huge thing to understand. It's quite a simple thing at the principal level. But there are more subtleties to that because what people would probably be beneficial to understand is how they've distorted it and understand a little bit about the traps along the way that they've set in order to change and distort how our system of law um, has become what it what it's become and how they've done it, um, because yeah, that yeah. would then then make people just that much more um, guarded and and understanding. Uh, uh, you know where the tricks that they've been playing. Yeah, that's it. I've really, got a, I've got a perfect illustration of government overreach and how the politicians have effectively talked and sort of educated themselves into positions where they are completely at odds with our common law constitution. And I've actually got a quote here, and I'm going to flick it over, so I hope you can still see me. Here goes. This is from the Right Honourable Mark Harper, MP, to a constituency, to a constituent. And he is a privy councillor. He was made a privy councillor in 2015. And in his letter, there's one paragraph, and it reads as such. Parliamentary sovereignty is amongst the most fundamental principles in our uncodified constitution. Parliament is the supreme lawmaking body in the United Kingdom. This is not to say that other sources of law, for example, the common law, or acts passed by the devolved legislatures, was a word I was trying to struggle over, legislatures, do not constitute the law but Parliament does have the power to override any of these. So what he's saying there is he can override the common law. And so he's either, he's either gaslighting uh, or he doesn't understand genuinely. Yeah. Or there is lying going on. Well, it's, I do, very I, I, easy to, it's very easy to prove through the history of law and through the quotations of people like uh, David Hume, History of England, Blackstone himself, and many others, that that is completely untrue. And 30, 40 years ago, there would have been many in the political establishment who who would at least, a bit coyly, would have admitted that government is not sovereign and cannot do that. And there is binding law on government itself. It's an absolutely absurd claim. Yeah, and if and he I really would... understood the Constitution he would be utterly embarrassed to have made a statement like that. Exactly. And I have it on good authority that that paragraph was written for him by, if you like, the, 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 the modus operandi of Parliament. In other words, the people behind Parliament say, if you get any messages from your constituency saying, you know, common law, blah, blah, blah. Put this out. Yeah, put yeah. this out. So it's a standard yeah. response. So I don't know. I mean, I don't. My my contention is 
that you know through all the all the sort of pretty deep reading that we've been doing um <clears throat> and looking at um you know recent communications and, and and letters and things that have been written by members of the judiciary um my contention is that the 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 the, the damage has largely been done by a kind of gaslighting a kind of obfuscation and confusion so you get these kind of mixed messages going on. You know, you'll hear things like, um, well, they'll celebrate the 1215 Magna Carta um, at the anniversary of the Magna Carta. And they'll even put on a, um, a, a, a play, a piece of drama in, in Westminster Hall, I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, um, yes. Which was actually very good. It was very interesting. And a few things, but it was generally very interesting. You know, so uh, on the one hand, we, we celebrate Magna Carta, which is really a restatement of our of our constitution, and it's a it's a written constitution, um, because last time I looked at the twelve fifteen Magna Carta, it was definitely written. <laughs> it, it, there's nothing unwritten about the twelve fifteen Magna Carta, so they'll celebrate it, and yet at the same time they'll sort of denigrate it and say, "Well, no, that's just it's it's not really a thing anymore." So you've got this sort of gaslighting going on, and then you they do that with things like you know. The royal prerogative as well. Well, yes, it's true that the that the king or queen have the the power to um, refuse royal assent to legislation, but they wouldn't do it, of course. You know, so it's this. Well, either they can or they can't, and if they can, there must be a reason for it. It's just so. This is the kind of thing that's going on. There's utter confusion. I actually genuinely believe that very senior people in the establishment are simply ignorant of how the constitution is meant to work i think that condition has been largely driven that way and created um largely because generations have gone by who were who have not received civics in school um there isn't a, a requirement of good constitutional law studying in in the legal profession uh, although the legal profession do do it uh, to a limited degree um there are definitely issues with that um and this is the kind of condition that's been brought about it's just a, a situation of confusion and obfuscation and gaslighting um and and that's how they do a lot of things i can remember um or oh, going back now probably five years six years seven years probably uh when we were starting a a broad movement for the rule of law. We were just starting to find our way around. This is before the Winchester, um, the Winchester, um, what do you call it? The Winchester Declaration. And uh, we were talking, we, we met in Nottingham, I think it was. And there was one gentleman there who said his daughter had just started doing law at uh, Cardiff University, it was. And uh, she said to her father, do you know, I mentioned common law to my tutor, and he said, if you mention that again, you'll be off the course. <laughs> common law was not come into law as a degree. It's I mean, I've I've spoken to, to one or two in the legal profession. I'm getting very varied reactions, actually. And but mostly um, it's not quite as severe as that. There is confusion. So, for example, it's 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 commonly understood, common, commonly understood um, wrongly that common law is is um, stare decisis in, in Latin, which is precedent, uh, case law. 
um, and, uh, and and that's not the case. So so customary common law is a is a completely different thing entirely. Um, it's it's the, the the common law is the ancient customs on which our constitution is based. And so quite often you would you would hear the phrase the Articles of Common Law, uh, which is what we have in in the 1215 Magna Carta. Um, but yeah, it, you, you do get varied reactions, but there's confusion. Again, gaslighting within the legal profession. You know, one moment you'll hear common law being referred to as to, when you're referring to case law. And another time they'll talk about at common law uh, when they're actually talking about something much more profound and, and older and ancient. So again, it's more sort of confusion and, and, and gaslighting. But um, and, anyway. all, and, and when it comes to academia, it's all happening at a time when we know that multi-billionaires are chucking huge amounts of money into the universities and the universities are responding by, if you like, supporting the narrative of those multi-billionaires. Uh, and we know all about, you know, COVID and everything else. We won't go into that now, but certainly uh, I, we know of one professor who is extremely concerned the way the universities are now tainted and you can't guarantee that the truth will be taught but a narrative will be taught and of course with climate change man-made global warming you can see how the debate on that has now been completely stopped you know whether it's the bbc or anyone we're not allowed to debate climate change yeah. man-made global warming is decided we have decided and so no debate is allowed uh, so we've got you know, generations of young people coming through now who basically are stopped critical thinking. They've been programmed uh, to go along with this agenda. And they will probably ha be happy with the Great Reset because they'll basically be believe that they are saving the planet by staying in their 15-minute zones and getting microchipped and allowing the state to decide how much or how little they can spend, you know, and become a become you know, not just a vegetarian but a vegan and don't look at meat at all but if you do you can probably have a few insects you might be allowed a few insects if you're a good <laughs> girl or boy you might be allowed a cockroach or two clive i'm very concerned that we've gone on a massive rant here and we haven't allowed the interviewer to take this in the direction that he might want to go because <laughs> we've just we've just kind of gone for it you know <laughs> uh, that's all right so i mean the uh, the question i'd like you to answer is um has the coronation oath been published and if so uh how many christians are there in the uk these days i, I have no religion um and if he's claiming the divine right of kings that somehow descended from king david he, god has placed him in this spot would the majority of the population of england agree well I, I will tell you the latest i was trying to get hold we've got a a contact in the office of the archbishop of canterbury I haven't been able to get hold of them today, but I got hold of them about a week or so ago. Um, the the actual text of the, um, the of the coronation oath is being drawn up by the cabinet office, um, and and also the department. And I'll never get this right. Is it sports, digital, and culture? Or whatever culture, it is, culture, media, media, and sport. Is it or something? Something like that. I don't know. They probably changed <laughs> it again today. Anyway, that particular department, we think, was going to release it, but the actual text is being decided upon by the Cabinet Office, which we all know is a driving force for the Great Reset. 
the cabinet office is a vast undertaking now. It's got something like 8,000 people working for it or something. It's a, it's a huge undertaking. But for some reason, they have got their, they've got their um, hold on the text. So we do believe it is going to, well, this is what the archbishop's uh, servant said. He doesn't believe there's going to be a lot of changes, but we don't know. And until we know, uh, all we know is that the king at the moment represents the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, the Green New Deal. That's his penchant. That's what he's you know, really passionate about. And yet he's going to be taking an oath to uphold our laws and customs, our ancient common law customs. So, you know, something's got to give. So we're waiting to hear what the actual oath, the text is. So is there an alternative coronation oath that's been written that he should be saying if he was right-minded? Well, well, the, we the, the, the content of any coronation oath, according to the Constitution, is very simple and straightforward. It's, it's essentially to promise to govern according to uh, the customary common law, um, the, the, the laws and customs of the nation. And what that's essentially saying is that you are... Uh, you are governing according not not to the to the laws of Parliament, um, because that's just your administration of the day. Yeah. So it's it's it fundamentally. Um, in fact, Elizabeth actually got it right in her cor coronation oath. It's it's according to laws and customs, which is the common law. Now, that would include any statutory law that was passed by the legislature that was in in alignment with the constitution yeah so any any statutes that were uh, that didn't infringe on the liberties of the people they were quite sensible they were it was well drawn up legislation practical sensible and absolutely in alignment with the principles of the constitution then in a, in effect that means that that would be in alignment with customary common law and therefore it all it requires is a promise by the head of state to govern according to customary common law is which is essentially what they're saying and that that's really it that's the most important thing now as soon as they start adding um statutes agreed on in parliament that thing that kind of gets a bit problematic at that point because you're you're essentially saying that the legislature which is meant to be bound by the constitution it's meant to be limited by the constitution you're suddenly saying i'm going to govern according to those things regardless of whether they are in alignment with the, with the constitution and that's in effect elevating the power of parliament uh, to be a um a constitutional writing uh mechanism and of course the lawmaking mechanism of parliament is meant to be beneath the constitution they're not meant not supposed to be using their lawmaking mechanism to then write a change into the constitution, which which would then elevate the government in in that framework. Yeah, they're writing themselves into constitutional authority essentially at that point, which would be unconstitutional. It would delegitimize the government. So, talking about beneath, am I right that Elizabeth? didn't sign her coronation oath underneath as one normally would to be underneath what you've just said, but signed on top of it. Now, this is interesting. Um, 
Yes, I mean, I, I, I well, myself and uh, Professor Gloria, uh, she, 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 we've been looking at all these different coronations and uh, different documents, and she's found quite a few royal documents where the the monarch had signed at the top, but on the other hand, they also signed at the bottom. When Edward VIII um, abdicated, there's a document you can find online, which is his simple state: "I am abdicating." Blah 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 got his two brothers to sign it in the left-hand column, and he signs it right underneath in a normal position where you'd expect. So the Queen, yes, she signed it at the top. And yet when you look at the footage, it, it doesn't, there's something not right about the whole thing. In fact, in fact, all the, this, this, in fact, the coronation oath itself, the 1953 one, has been hidden away from the nation. Yeah, I think that's the biggest year. problem. I think I yeah. think I think the first issue is possibly a bit of a distraction. I mean, I agree it's a bit weird. It's interesting. Yeah. But but she did do it before, you know, she she did it on record, you know. Oh, everybody yeah. was watching and it was filmed. So well, so she the was fact watching. That, the fact the fact that you have you might have copies. It might be that she was a, a, approached behind the scenes a couple of days later say, you know, your majesty, we need to make another copy here of the coronation oath and she was asked to sign it. We just don't know. The yeah, most important thing is yeah. that it was on record. She was on record yeah. to have said that text. So I don't think that matters so much. But I think, Justin, you're right. The fact that it's all hidden, the and fact that these documents are difficult to find is That's a key right. thing. If you go online and you, you, you say, can I see the coronation oaths of Edward VII, George V, Queen Victoria, William IV, George IV, you can't find them. The only one they show is the digitalized one, which they did last year for the Platinum Jubilee. So they have not, for some reason, they are not on public display. And these are important documents. This is where some, you know, this is where the first among equals, the first sovereign among equals, declares before God to protect the other sovereigns. It's a very important document. It's it's actually technically the most important document in a way of the Constitution because it's the pinch point. It's the point at which the entire mechanism of government and the entire tree of oaths that sits beneath that, that's all the public servants, are all connected to the promise of the head of state to govern according to law. Um, and, uh, and, and therefore that document is absolutely critical. Yeah, if if everything is not right about that document, in a sense, what it's doing is delegitimizing the entire governing system and the rule of law. And, and if you actually look at the one that they did digitalize, and you look at one that some Australians had, and they put some modern yellow highlighting on, which was, you know, just thing, um, you suddenly realize, and in fact, Professor Gloria Moss, she's actually just written something which we're releasing in the next day or two about this. But you look at the state of the document, and there's two pictures taken of the document, obviously at different times. The sort of the ribbon, the purple ribbon they've got is being completely torn apart. In fact, in some cases, being ripped off. The document looks dirty, and there's, if, it doesn't look as though it's been respected. There's something very wrong indeed um, with the whole thing. It's very weird. Yeah. It really does look damaged. And yet, of course, it shouldn't be. It should be signed by her, rolled up, careful parchment, 
put away, put on, you know. But if you look at it, it looks as though it's just come out of, well, they, they've, oh, God, we better find out where it is. Oh, my God, it's in the bin. Get it out. Roll it out. You know, <laughs> it's been damaged. It, it's weird. So to it's content, I think, it's the Something content right that we hold with the, with the document itself, the importance of the document. Very strange. So with, um, I imagine, still most of the British people having this blind respect for royalty, do you think people will pay attention and, and how are you going to get to them and what, what do they need, what will they need to do? To yes, I mean, it, it, it's a good point, Clive. I mean, it, 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 there are a few things in what you've just asked there, actually, which we've got to um, just highlight. I mean, well, first of all, of course, not everybody does respect. <laughs> um, and there is a distinction, of course, between respecting the position of the monarchy, which is really just the head of state, and um, and the current monarch, <laughs> or, or the, the individual that might be filling that position, or the last individual that was filling that position. And neither Justin and I, or anyone uh, connected with this campaign, is really making a, a, a public, um, uh, you know, opinion. We're not putting our, our own opinions out as to the suitability, um, I think you can probably draw a, a, an in, the 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 inference from what we're saying, <laughs> but but we're not really making a statement on the suitability of the current monarch uh, or not, uh, or the last one. Um, although the last one, we can say that what wasn't suitable up to in, just in the sense that that sadly, because I, I I actually liked Queen Elizabeth as a an individual. Uh, I think she she struck a a, a really serious uh, tone. Um, she was a woman of great decorum and and gravitas. I think she she created the right sort of spirit for the nation in that sense. But she didn't fulfil her role, uh, and she never once uh, used her power uh, to refuse royal assent when she should have done. Quite clearly, should have done. Um, now, as for the for the new monarch, I'm not making a, a a public statement on that, and that's for the people to decide. But the the most important thing is that the head of state, in the role of of monarch, is absolutely critical. And there's a massive danger um, with the increased republican movement because mm -hmm. that will pull apart the constitution fundamentally. And that will damage any freedoms that we have. It will also create a vacuum. Uh, it will create a situation where they will uh, rub their hands with glee behind the scenes um, because it will create an opportunity to set up something completely new. And the question remains at this point is, do enough people in the country understand the pillars and the principles on which a new constitution should be built? In a way, we don't really need a new constitution because if you strip out everything back to its original pillars, the foundation of what the constitution is, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant what's there. And the people don't understand it. So what makes anybody think that we need to strip it or, or, to, or to take it out entirely and start with something completely new? And any kind of Republican movement is going to create a big issue there. Uh, and damage that. We should be rooting for the Constitution, understanding how it's supposed to work, recognising the fact that what is, in, is, is occurring now isn't really a reflection of how that original system was meant to operate anyway. 
and we should be requiring our political class and the establishment to return it to its proper uh, condition in how it's supposed to be operating. That's what we should be doing. And if in the doing of that, it causes the entire system to come down, and I don't know whether it would or it wouldn't, but if it did, at that point, it wouldn't matter so much because at least the people will have understood through that process what the constitution did have at its foundation and they wouldn't be able to pull the wool over our eyes again the next time uh, when they they decide to put in something that's favourable to their political power, if you see what I mean. I think when it comes to King Charles, uh, I mean, I've seen the good side to him, uh, his conservation, his protection of rural communities, rural crafts, architecture. There's a lot there that are big plus, you know, pluses, given pluses. But he cannot, cannot be our common law constitutional king if he is pledged to helping the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. So there's got to be a retraction. There's got to be a royal retraction saying, OK, I'm king. I now renounce all my involvement with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and the Green New Deal. I am going to be your king to look after our common law constitution. And if he does that, I'm happy. But if he doesn't... I think without, I think without that retraction, it's not, it's not a claim that I'm making or Justin's making. Without that retraction, effectively, a monarch would be breaking the law. Yeah. Sorry, it's self-evident. Yeah. It's in the Constitution. Yeah. You can't take an oath and be supporting external organisations uh, pa pa and, and powers and influences outside the realm. Uh, you can't do that. Exactly. And if he goes ahead and takes the coronation oath, whatever the text is, when we know what it is, but if he goes ahead on May the 6th and does it in, in, in front of God, that's what technically it is, then if he persists in promoting the Great Reset or his son, the new Prince of Wales, promoting it and the royal family getting involved, then we are going to be, well, we are going to have a new Runnymede situation. We will probably have to have the people going to the king and saying, we cannot have this. We cannot have this. Something's got to give, sir. You have got to now retract or else you cannot be our king. I mean, but none, none of this, but none of this will happen unless we have a national conversation on this. Yes. If and, sufficient and, and numbers of people, that. if sufficient numbers of people, and we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, actually caring about this enough, you know, I mean, the, the, the people in, in, in medieval England um, who, who really did understand their rights, they were zealous for those rights at the time of Magna Carta and, and, and around that period, and certainly before in the late Saxon period, they absolutely understood this, not because they could read and write, because they couldn't. They didn't need to be able to do that. They just knew it. But they would be horrified at now at our current situation, absolutely ashamed of us and the people generally. I mean, it should be the paramount concern in everybody's mind because your, your freedoms and your liberties are fundamentally connected to um, the limitations placed on your governing system. You know, the, the, the biggest danger to any people 
of any nation isn't your your criminals within your own society that you can deal with. It's pretty small that, um, and even external threats from other nations are going to be pretty rare unless your own government is doing stupid things. Um, you know, if you're generally living life, um, minding your own business and living peacefully, the biggest threat to any people in any nation is your own government going out of control. Yeah. And that's the whole point of the Constitution, is understanding the limits that are placed on the legitimate behaviour of your government or your administration, because really, in a way, they're not a government at all when they're operating correctly under a common law constitution. They're not actually the government at all, which is why true anarchists should be supporting this as well, because it's really the people that are governing themselves through the jury and your government, as we call it, because we can't drop that word, um, is really just an administration that runs day-to-day -day affairs for the people, but it keeps out of the way and it's meant to allow us to run our lives freely um, and simply be um, concerned about what we are doing to other people. We don't, we don't cause harm or loss to other people. That's the crime that we could commit. Um, and that's very much a, a natural law principle. But the government is meant to just keep out of the way. That's how it was always supposed to function. And they certainly shouldn't be uh, getting involved in the minutiae and the day-to-day policymaking um, of of the way that we run our lives, but that's the world that we now live in, because we've we've incrementally allowed them, that's government, to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we've 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 outsourced huge amounts of our own lives to to allow them to do that essentially. And and to put it bluntly, if the royal house of Windsor, which really is called the royal house of Saxe Coburg and Gopher and only changed their name when gopher bombers were dropping bombs on London in 1917. If they persist in supporting the WEF and the other things and, and not taking the government to task for their government overreach or anything like that, in other words, they're not behaving as a common law constitutional monarch, then clearly we have to replace with a new royal house. And maybe we have to introduce new rules I've become a, a fan of a Norwegian king called King Haakon VII, um, who became king of Norway in 1905, when Norway ceded from Sweden peacefully, and they looked for a new king, and they chose a Danish prince. But the Danish prince said, I will only be your king once I know the people want me. And he, he insisted on a plebiscite. And two, oh, oh, well, three quarters of the population, in fact, more than that, said, yes, we want you as our king. And, and he turned out to be an excellent king. He even saw off the Nazis. He, you know, he, he was a, a brilliant king. And I recommend people to look up King Haakon at H-A-A-K-O-N, King Haakon VII, a, a fantastic man, a very fair-minded man, humble and he knew his constitution. He knew it wasn't a common law constitution, but he knew his constitution. He knew that he had the responsibilities of the nation on his shoulders. And he made sure when, when Quisling went out of line, he stood up to Quisling and resisted him. And that's when he went over to England to continue the opposition to Hitler, to Nazism and the German occupation of Norway. He, he was a great man. 
And, and if we're going to have a new monarch, he or she, I think in the future should be, there should be a plebiscite. In the original Saxon days, that's what happened. Yes, it was never assumed that the sun would, would necessarily um, take, take over. It was, it, was, um, uh, it was considered quite possible um, because if the father had done a, a, a good job and was a, a well-respected family, uh, and then, then many in the country would think, you know, it, this is likely to be a good thing. But um, there was an very much an element of them having to prove themselves, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, there's this divine right of kings, this, 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 the pomp and regalia that's now come in as a result of, you know, this incremental hundreds of years of sort of increasing the sort of the pomposity of it all. And, you know, is, is completely wrong. That's not the style of the limited monarchy that, that we actually constitutionally have. It's gone way out of control. And of course, another thing we haven't talked about is the crown itself. What do we mean by the crown? Because there are many who believe the crown is actually the city of London, the crown corporation. So there's also other links between the corporate world, the powerful corporate banking, merchant banking world, and the relationship with the monarchy. That's work in progress. I, that also needs to be sorted out because the two should not be involved at all together. So do you think, realistically, the people have the will to not sit and watch telly, but actually do something about this? Something is stirring. Something is stirring. We, we've noticed it's starting to move. It's like a super tanker. It's starting to move. Uh, we've got a long way to go because we're up against apathy. We're up against people who have sold us souls to the little box in the corner of the room so they get dumbed down every evening with absolute garbage uh, but there is a growing number of people now with the 15-minute cities with the results of the vaccine damage and all that with somebody like Andrew Bridgen the MP standing up people are now starting to think hang on a moment there's something not right here so I, I'm an optimist I believe that people are waking up but it's going to be a race for the line because the other side are getting with their, with all their technologies and stuff, they are getting ready. I mean, there's a young generation who think, oh, mobile phone, I can do my banking. Oh, look, I can prove who I am, my age. It's wonderful, I can go on holiday. Look, there it is. You know, we've got a generation going like that and we need to somehow get through to them. Hold on, don't go down the digital world because if you do, you become a prisoner in a digital world and they will have you and control you. Um, but a young, young people are waking up. I mean, we are seeing young people waking up. So I'm an optimist. I think that, that yeah, it is starting to happen. And it seems the only way, <clears throat> the only way at this point is for all the groups in the UK or globally to get together. Somehow they need to drop their petty differences and group up. Do you see any sign of that happening? Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. There, there, there are many um, groups and um, individuals coming together in what we might call the freedom movement. Um, a lot of linking up going on. Justin, what would you do? You, you well, would agree I, we, with we've, that? Just done a, we've done a thing called the Truth Tree, which we told Clive about. We put you down on it, Clive. Um, I'll send it to you so you can put it out to all your supporters. 
um, the truth tree, because what we're dealing with now is freedom versus tyranny. It's good versus evil. There's no, between the two, there's a razor blade. There's no wall to sit on and have a speech and have a debate and let's, let's see if we can see each other's side to the argument and all that. No, we're now faced between good and evil. It's that simple between freedom and tyranny. And so we've done this truth tree. It's a meme which you can see all the things that where truth leads you to and where everything with the lies and deception of what's going on leads to as well. And on the back, or on the, just below it, we've put all the list of organizations that we know of, who we know that we can trust, who are all trying to achieve the same objective. That list is going to grow by the day because more and more people are waking up. And we don't want a hierarchical movement. We want a linear movement of lots of organizations. But what we're trying to do at Hardwick, the Hardwick Alliance for Real Ecology, which Will and I, you know, help out and stuff, what we're trying to do is create the right song sheet or the right hymn sheet, if you like. So everyone knows, after all, many of our people have got decades of research under their belt, you know. Uh, so we know, I mean, look at you, Rich. How long, how long have you been at it? You, you, you know, how long, Clive, have you been at, involved in researching stuff? Decades, I would imagine. So we've all got decades of research under our belts. We know what's got to be done. So let's pull that information and then provide the song sheet to hand out to all the people who are waking up saying, look, this is a lot of experience. This is the direction we need to be going. But what we don't want is a hierarchy. We don't want to be like a political party where you have your leaders and you have your hierarchy and you have the self-serving people. We, I mean, one of the things that we're absolutely convinced about is we don't want career politicians and we don't want political parties. We want to get rid of those who want to make a career out of governing people. Well, it's, 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 it's really about it's about the, the foundational principles that the, it's the people in charge exactly. of their own government. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's really what it is. And they and we can't do this kind of um, outsourcing areas of our lives. We have to take responsibility. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I always say to people is that actually, do you want your freedom? I know that sounds a bit ridiculous, but actually... In order to be truly free, you have to be utterly responsible, and it and it means you can't be lazy either, you know. And we're a bit wedded in our modern society to the comforts that we've got, but those comforts represent that enslavement in a sense. And that's the question to the people: is how much do you really want to be free? If you really want your liberties, you're going to have to do a lot of reflection on this at an individual level and at a society level as well. And if you really want it, we would see the action. Now, am I seeing it? I'm seeing it a bit and I have seen an increase, but I'm not seeing it at the level of people really hungry for their liberty. I'm just being honest. Well, we did. We I, did. Think, I, think, I think you would be thinking about this almost every day, personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did put that video up of the people in Thetford who have said enough's enough with the 15 minute ideas. Absolutely. That, that was very inspiring. And uh, we put it up on our website. You put it up on the Common Law Constitution. Yeah. And the point that I was making, actually, was that if they use the knowledge that I've now put out on commonlawconstitution.org, 
which they haven't at the moment, because I don't think they were they were aware of it particularly. But if they did, it it would amplify their message and their position and their authority. It would make themselves much more powerful. And every time we now communicate with our public servants, we need to be reminding them that they are a public servant and they need to be pretty damn careful about where they're going and what they're supporting. Because otherwise they might be breaking breaking the law, quite simply. And that's a different framing. Most people are not used to that. Now, you know, they haven't been thinking along those lines. But people need to be thinking along those lines now that there is a law that is placed over government and it's and the people that work within it. And if they're not operating within that law, they are in effect delegitimizing themselves. And servants are meant to help people if we've got thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, maybe half a million or however many it is public servants. Surely they're breaking the law if they're not serving us, if they're doing that the indeed correct. Absolutely spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all here to serve. And one way every one of us is here to serve. So that's what makes things tick. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, the politicians, unfortunately, have just become too powerful and they're believing their own rhetoric. And and I'm afraid I'm going to say this. If you look at the caliber of the people stepping forward to be politicians, most of them are just not up to the mark. And, and this is why I'm just so impressed with Andrew Bridgen. I mean, he's actually said to me, he's had about a half a dozen MPs come up to him and say, actually, you know, we think you're right and we support you. But we can't do that publicly. So cowardice is one of the worst things that I've seen now in Parliament. It's not just, some of them are openly complicit with the globalists because they can see career paths or whatever it is. But the bulk of them are ignorant, and the bulk of them are too afraid. It, it, to ignorant them. and ignorant and arrogant as well. Yeah, oh, arrogant I mean, and it's, yeah. It's yeah. Utterly shameful, really, yeah. to be doing that. Yeah. And they, yeah. there's, there's a lot of reflection there that they're going to have to do. It's yeah. really disgusting. Sorry, I'm just getting really... Well, no, I mean, here. the one thing, I didn't know this about Andrew Bridgen, and I really want to, to, to congratulate him on this. I hadn't realised that almost alone in Parliament, he brought justice to the uh, the post office sub submasters and the mistresses. They, they remember the scandal involving the post office IT, that suddenly innocent people were going to prison, they were losing money. The post office claimed that these sub-postmasters were pinching money, when in fact it was the malfunction in the IT, in the new system they put in. And innocent people were having their reputations trashed, they lost their homes, they lost their partners in some cases, um, and, and some of them were actually sent to prison. Uh, and it's a total injustice. And only Andrew Bridgen stood by them. He said the yeah. other, others in Parliament didn't want to go near it. So that man has got huge respect as far as I'm concerned, but he is one out of 650 MPs. So, you know, what does that say about the others? And what's a little bit concerning is that, is, is that actually a reflection of our society? Because one might think it, 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 it could be. Well. Just, just, a, just a question I'm throwing yeah. out there. 
People have got to take a long, hard look at themselves. They really have got to start asking some very searching questions about themselves uh, and what they're leaving for their children and for their children. It's, it's really all about principle, yeah. all, all of this. It's it, about honesty absolutely. and truth. It is all about principle. And this is where I get, I'm so sad about, when I look at the original principles of the Green Movement, the, when the Ecology Party was set up in the early days and all the things, we had real values. In fact, the very first Green Party was called the Values Party, and that was in New Zealand. And look how New Zealand suffered at the moment. It, it, it you know, I, I, it's just a great shame to see how the, the genuine values of the Green Movement, human scale economics, looking out for one another, helping other countries, you know, it was real, genuine, radical root stuff. And now they've just jumped into bed with the bankers the industrialists, the megalomaniacs who meet at Davos, and they are happy to be seen on the stage with them. I just find that incredibly sad. And so many Greens, this is why we've got the Hardwick Alliance for Real Ecology. When, and, and we have a patron who's not with us now. He's unfortunately not with us in the sense that he's passed away, but we still have him as our patron. And that's Professor David Bellamy, because he stuck to his guns and the BBC got rid of him. And I can still see him filling the kettle now and he's in, in his kitchen. He just turned to me and said, Justin, it's all bad science, Justin, bad science. You know, that man stood by his principles. And this is, what, this is what's so sad. There are so many so-called green leaders who have just completely turned their back on values and principles. Uh, and and, and they're, they're happy to go along with lies because they can get a bit of power. I mean, you know, when I first saw my first green wearing a grey suit and tie, I knew we were lost. And I always remember that occasion. I won't name the individual, but when I saw the first green <laughs> so-called senior politician wearing a suit and tie, that's when I knew things were not right. And it wasn't David Icke, by the way. David did arrive at the first meeting of party council dressed in a suit and tie because he'd just come straight from the BBC. But when he saw the rest of us, he realised that's not the way you dress for a Green Party council meeting. <coughs> so, I don't anyway. know about you, Justin, but I think I've forgotten how to tie a tie now. It's been been years. Uh, well, I, I'm going to... I, 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 my, my wife said I look more intelligent when I tied a dicky bow. I can still tie my own dicky bow. So I may have to start wearing a dicky bow or two, because uh, immediately you put a dicky bow on, people actually think you're quite intelligent. Um, whereas uh, my, my mother used to make excuses for me and kept saying, oh, Justin, he's a late developer, you know, he's a late developer. So she's not with us now, but I'm sure she's looking down. But I think I might get into wearing a dicky bow. I always wear the cravat, but I might wear the dicky bow. You never know. <laughs> All right. So to, to, to recap then, everybody should read the commonlawconstitution.org uh, website. Um, if people want to try and spread the idea that, look, we should be questioning that this whole thing, so what other things should they be doing? Well, we, we, you've seen the letter we've done to um, the Duke of Norfolk in his, in his job as Earl Marshal. For, no. Right, okay, well, I will send you that, because this is what's doing the rounds, and it is starting to gain traction. A lot of people are sending it to their MPs and hopefully other people, their friends and colleagues and stuff. But I'll send you this um, letter that Will and I have done. And it's basically saying, 
if the if the if the king, the only way the king can take his oath with a clear conscience is to retract all his involvement with the Great Reset, Klaus Schwab, and and uh, the World Economic Forum. So I will send you that letter. And if it's you down, could... it's downloadable actually, and it's in the resources section on CommonLawConstitution.org. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the second yeah. news item down has got a link to that if you need to get to it. Yeah, so I'll give you a package uh, on how to do it. Uh, yeah. But if we, 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 we want to encourage people to send that to their MPs, the MPs will probably send back a negative response. But the, if they start to get dozens of letters from about the same issue, they'll start to get worried. Well, if dozens and one... hopefully hundreds and Only maybe hundreds, thousands. I, I do remember <laughs> I an mean, MP... Just, just... I was just going to say that the numbers that have seen the interviews that that you and I have done, Justin, in in the span of yeah. of the start of this campaign, we're, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. actually. Now, if only half of those all sent that letter to their MP, that's going to start sending a. That's that's getting close. Now we're really getting somewhere. Yeah. You know, but that's only half. So, so come on, we 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 need to do this. We it's not only that, but we need to kick up a fuss about all the other legislation that's coming yeah. in place. That's starting to. If you spot a piece of legislation that is infringing on your liberties, deal with it. But deal with it in the new way. Deal with it in the way that I have laid out on commonlawconstitution.org just yesterday in that top news item, and it will explain the logic quite clearly. I think it was covered by UK Column, actually, um, yesterday. But clearly, it shows you the logic of what you're explaining to your MP, that they actually have an obligation to do this. It's not that you're just asking because it's your opinion on that piece of legislation they actually should not be supporting something that it's infringing your liberties by law. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> and what, and what, is, what is the crime if the common law crime is not malfeasance? Which one well, is it's it? Probably, there are probably a number, but one of them certainly yeah. would be uh, misconduct in public office, which is a common law offence. Um, and it would need, need to be proved and that there would be um, things to look at there. Misfeasance in public office is actually, I think, the civil uh, equivalent, maybe, I can't remember, but we'd have to look at those. But but essentially, misconduct in public office, certainly, put this is way, a serious, I'm, I'm, serious crime. That's a crime way, of I'm, imprisonment. Oh, yeah, I'm keeping all my emails as future evidence. Uh, <laughs> I've had four MPs in the last 10 years, so I'll give them due warning that all the emails have been kept. Yeah? Quite right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. That was well, very interesting you. indeed. And keep me informed. We will. And we'll send you, as I say, we'll send you the letter to, to the Earl Marshal and, uh, and the links. And, and if we can just encourage everybody to get involved, because, as you say, this is our freedom. If, if, if nothing else, this is probably the most important thing that people can do to, to guarantee that our freedoms will be restored and we don't go down the path of becoming uh, a, a communist state or whatever you want to call it, the Chinese model will come to this country and we will yep. be in total digital lockdown. It'll be a digital lockdown. We will basically 
1984, George Orwell. I mean, this really is an Orwellian future that we are staring at unless we get our act together. Well, I'm going to cut it off right there. That's perfect. So, um, brilliant. Thank you both very much. Well, thank you, Clive. Thank you, Clive. Well, How are yeah. things with you? All right? Everything all right? Yeah, everything's good, basically. Anything I can do for either of you health-wise in any way, shape or form? Actually, I will what's take you the off best on thing for joints? What's, what's the best thing for aching joints? I I did have uh, a Russian skenar. Yes. Um, yes. Which was extremely effective. Uh, it seems to have worn off now. And I'm getting achy joints in my old age. So you've still, not bad. you've still got a skenar? No, I haven't. Can you buy one? Yeah, you can, yeah. Well, um, I might get one. Because it worked a treat last time. So... I mean, but on one level, you might not need it. I mean, the, the you know, when I had rheumatoid arthritis 38 years ago and I couldn't even get dressed, it was magnesium, vitamin C. Oh, uh, right. That were the primaries. Magnesium was number one. Did we ever send you a package of supplements? No, no, but I'm happy to pay for it, obviously. No, I'll send you one. Free, um, well, it's magnesium. I think I probably do need. I do, I, I do, I do a lot of vitamin C. Because I haven't had a cold now for four years, three years. Clive, is there is there something in some, uh, and I bet yours is doesn't have that, but there's something in quite a lot of magnesium supplements that uh, um, drop your blood sugar level. Did I hear? I think, not sure. I'm Maybe wrong. On that. I'm not aware of that one. Okay, but um, no, that's interesting. I just had a thought. We're on with Lou tomorrow. Yes, huh? we are. Yeah, Clive, that's I was good. just going to take you up on that offer, if that's okay, of just bu oh. booking a, a, a session, um, if that if that's all right still. Yeah, that's um, absolutely fine. It's actually for my other half, but th there's quite a, a, a serious uh, thing that we, we could do with looking at, if that if that's all right. But, but I'll go to... Fine. So uh, the sooner the better, clearly, if it's... Brilliant. Safe. Yeah, and no, I'll go to Lou on, on that one. That'd be great, actually. Fantastic. Perfect. Get us okay. to sort it. Excellent. Do you want me Fantastic. to send you my? Do you want to send you my snail mail address? Uh, yes, please. Yep. Okay, I'll do that. Well, thank you, Clive, for that. No, I honestly, Clive, I am genuinely feeling very optimistic. I think when Will came to us about what was it six weeks ago and saying we are we you will not achieve anything until we start to get people talking about the constitution, the common law constitution, and the fact we are in control. And I think, well, Will's done brilliant. He's, he's been it was on... about two, two or three years ago, actually. But anyway. <laughs> yes, all right. But I mean, when, yes. you were, when, when you were totally exasperated saying that we've yes. got to do something. Um... Yeah, I know. My, I mean, my, my circumstances changed to allow me to dive in there and actually bloody do it properly. So it was actually, you know, it was a good, it's good timing, you know. But um, we really managed to go for it and put the time behind it. But uh yeah, I think I think it's beginning to happen, but it really is down to the people. You know, are they going to care enough about it to actually do it and get off their backsides? There are, and, there are unfortunately one or two uh, big little what's it? Big fish and little in aquariums. Big fish and little aquariums with huge egos. There are a few of those, or one or two that we've got to sort of say, look, come on, just. I mean, there's one who keeps attacking us only because we don't say English the whole time. We're not allowed to identify with Wales, Scotland or Northern Ireland or anyone else. It's got to be England only. And, you know, 
some things like this, which are he might sad. he might be right about the Britishness. There is a problem about our unifi unification. I think. Yeah, I think I, he's I, right I, on that. Actually, yeah. but, but you it's, know, it's the he, fact that he doesn't mention trial by jury at all, uh, and all exactly. the other things. Yeah, he's very, and, he's very nationalist. He's, he, you know, he's prob probably lot extremely tattooed and angry, and you know, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> which is, um, well, that not that's the other. That's the other thing, which of course is now becoming a joke. That the Antifa, what do we call it? Anti, what do we call it? Antifa, Antifa, and uh, and 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 there's also hope, not hate, and all these people. They're now starting to look a bit ridiculous. Yeah, because when they tried to 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 have a go at the people in Oxford when they were out in their massive in their massive numbers the other weekend, uh, you had this small enclave of effectively Renton mob with their black balaclava helmets and they were you know, they just looked ridiculous and I think they felt ridiculous because they were shouting fascists and stuff to just ordinary families walking past it and smiling and laughing and joking it it. They were looking. Yeah. I think even they started to think. Hang on a moment. We're now starting to look a bit silly here. Who are the fascists? <laughs>